0: Well, thank you, Danny. Good morning, Olive Branch. Ooh, it is still morning and it's 11.50. No. Uh, if you're a part of the youth group in junior high or high school and you want to take this opportunity to head on out, uh, this is your chance to go connect with the rest of the students at this service. And so you have that opportunity. And, uh, but what we're doing today is we're here at the at the church. We're going to be going into our, what we call the image of God Sunday. Before we dive into that, you've seen some of these pins around. Maybe you guys got your pins. And the next series coming up next week begins called um, Unopposed. We're going to be back in the book of Romans. We're going to be going in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And kinda of looking in depth at that at those chapters. And what it means. And since it's about political season, we decided, hey, you know, we're all starting to see the signs. We're all starting to see, hear, the, hear all the interviews and all the people telling you, vote for me, vote for me. You guys are all tired of that already. It's kind of already begun. And um, it's going to be rolling for the next month. So we just decided to remind ourselves, you know what? God is not running for anything. He is unopposed. He is going to be God. We don't have to vote for him. We don't have to elect him. We don't have to switch gods out. This is just one of those pieces that is a stability for us. I think it will challenge us and have a lot of neat applications for us as the people of God to know that we're not voting for God. We're not running. He's not running. Uh, In fact, many of the cases, we are. And so we'll be kind of looking at that in next week. Hope that you guys will dive in and come see what a Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 has in store for us and, and for your life. But also... We're, we, we just finished Soul Detox. Um, how many guys got to do a Soul Detox group? You're, maybe you're still doing it right now. Um, good. You know, we had over 60% of our people engaged in some kind of Soul Detox group. But some of you, you know, you weren't engaged at all. You didn't get a chance. I maybe mean, you came to one sermon, two sermons, and you weren't involved in the small group study. I want to encourage you guys. All of the Sundays are, are podcasted on the, uh, on the website, so you can kind of pick those up and work through them. At the same time, you may be even encouraged to... Uh, grab some friends around you. Uh, Let us know that you're wanting to start kind of a a soul detox group and do those six weeks together. Feel free to use the orange card, grab it and then invite your friends, share a snack at your house and then just uh, let us know. We'll we'll get you the curriculum and get you all hooked up in that. We just want to make sure that if you still want to do that, you're not left out. It's still an opportunity for you to get engaged with the rest of the church and not feel like, Hey, this our church did a whole big thing and I didn't get a chance to do it. So we want to make sure that you have that opportunity. Now, we're in, this series, we're in this sermon here on Image of God Sunday, and we give a Sunday every week to focus in on this issue. And just so you know, some of you might, might be new here at Olive Branch, um, we don't always talk politics, but today I'm going to have a little bit of political speech engaged in our conversation. And the reason why is because, honestly, God touches everything. There is not a, a subject, there is not a place that God does not say, hey, I've got an opinion about that, I've got a, something in my truth that touches on that. And so we as Christians, we want to engage and we want to think about these things and we want to think intelligently about these things. And so yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about abortion. We'll be talking a lot about these aspects of, of life and social ails of our culture. How many of you guys are wrestling with some of those social ails, either on Facebook or something like that? Maybe, maybe you might be uh, wrestling over the marriage thing, wrestling over pro-life or wrestling over some other kind of um, issue, maybe ISIS and all these things that are going on. Uh, how many you guys have had to deal with that somewhere in your culture? You had a conversation about it somewhere like that? Facebook, otherwise? We're all going to engage in these conversations. And, and you know what's powerful? Is that I come to conclude that God has given us the information we need. I engaged in that conversation two weeks ago on a plane flight. I was on my way out to Pennsylvania. I got the back seat in the plane, the furthest back next to the bathrooms, all the way next to the window, sitting back there going, okay, these are more comfortable than I expected. And along comes a guy, sits down next to me, and it begins. You know, it's like, hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? He doesn't put earbuds in, which means he's interested, and he's talking to somebody. And so, um, he leans over to me, he's like, so, how you doing? I'm like, oh, good, where are you going? He's, I tell him where I'm headed, and I ask him where he's headed. I go, so what do you do for a living? He tells me. And then here comes the question, right? So what do you do? And as a pastor, that's like the most interesting response you ever get. You go, oh, I'm a pastor. And you get everything from, oh, that's nice. And it's like, they're like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm uncomfortable. I'm sitting next to this guy and he's a religious fanatic, you know, kind of reality. And some of them just go, oh, cool, awesome, I hope that works well for you. Earbuds in, they pull out the Sky Mall magazine because they're just like, oh, I need to do something else. And they're just, they're just gone. And Or other people, they're literally like, oh, that's cool. And they'll start engaging. This guy was more of the, hey, that's cool, let's engage conversation. And so for four hours, we ranged on a conversation that went from science and faith all the way through to, all the way into ethics and biology bioethics, because he worked in a medical, com- uh, medical supply company, dealing with these conversations from my bioethics courses, and what we went through, and I'd throw ethical problems at him, it was really interesting, all the way to political conversation, his parents are like, they, he brought up Prop 8, and all this stuff, so it was really interesting, all the way to the resurrection, No, it's interesting, until the resurrection, all of that information we had covered, I could deal with from one page in your Bible, just one. All I needed was the information from one page in your Bible, and I could cover everything from science and faith all the way through the ethical issues and politics of our time period in our culture. And that page, all of us have read it, even if you've just tried to read your Bible once and you started at the beginning, because the page I'm talking about is page one. The first page of your Bible is all you need to be able to engage, and if you thought about it and looked at it, in all of these issues. That's pretty intriguing. And I hope that you would uh, you dive in with me because let's open our Bibles to page one and take a look. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look... And a very powerful chapter. God, I think God knew our attention span, what our attention span would be like in the 21st century. And so he kind of put this here right at the beginning, all the important information on this page one of our Bibles. Now, what's kind of funny for me is I've got a lot of notes. Mine is page 51. You had to read 51 pages to get to page one for you guys in the Bibles under your seats. But we're looking at, I don't want to look at all of the chapter, but I want to look at the pertinent verses in verses 26 and 27. What's going on is God's already described how he created Created the world. And we can get into the debate of whether it's young earth, old earth, all that fun stuff. There's plenty of debates out there, and we all are gonna have different opinions here in our congregation. We've kind of covered off on that in the past. But what God has done is He's very clearly said, Hey, on the sixth day of this chapter, he is stating, I have created the animals, and He puts them all out there to eat the plants and the food. And so now He then turns and he climaxes everything to this point in 26 and 27. And it's the creation of us. In fact, what you'll see is there's a pattern going on in the book. He says, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be the, the firmament over the sky and the, and the waters. And, there, and it was so. Let there be next. And then he goes, let there be, let there be. And he keeps saying, let there be. Even in day six, he goes, let there be animals. And then suddenly he stops and he changes. He says, then God said, let us make. That's a different pattern. He halts everything. Everything changes right at this moment. He says, let us make man in our own image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What's fascinating about this text is God pauses the pattern, does everything so we would focus in and say, he would go, guys, this is important. I need you to know who you are. Humanity, hear me out. I need you to know who and what you are because if you get this wrong, it's going to mess stuff up. In fact, the way that I've come to the conclusion is our view of humanity will set your value of humanity and that sets the value of you. Our view of humanity sets our value, the value of humanity. How we view ourselves is going to tell us how much we think we're worth. And when we figure out how much we think we're worth, it's actually going to end up valuing you. You're putting yourself in that category as a human being. You're putting other people in that category as human beings. And that's important because God knew if we get the value wrong, if we get how we view ourselves wrong, we get the value wrong, and that's going to wind up into a mess. And that's exactly what's going on in our culture. Our culture right now and all its social ails and all of its struggles and all of its issues politically is dealing really with one question. What is a human being worth? What are you and me actually worth? What is a human in general worth? What's a human in other parts of the world worth? They worth more than we are as Americans? Do we put different values on human beings? How does this work? And because we have a different view of humanity than we've ever had in America prior to this, we have different answers to those questions, as different as how we view ourselves. And so you have different views. You'll have sexual views of humanity. You'll have economic views of humanity. You'll have material views of humanity that we're just animals. What I want to call us back is to God's view of us, how he made us and how he thinks of us. And he says that you and I are made in his image. What does that mean? What does this made in that image mean? It means that we are made to represent God. We're made to act like him on this earth. We're, we're made to symbolize God. In fact, when you, when you look at this in verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image. This image term is interesting. In fact, the word will repeat throughout the Bible and it's used in, in whenever it talks about an idol. If you were to come into a temple of an idol in the ancient world, there would be this statue of a god. And it would look weird, like half fish, half man, or just a a, a a, a multi-headed thing. It's just all kinds of different weird statues. And when you went into that statue, that was the image of that god. And you would offer your sacrifice to that image, you would, deal with, you would deal with that image because that image was a representation of that God. And so if you attack that image, you're attacking that God. If you insulted that image, you're insulting that God. So there was a one-to-one correspondence between that image and the God. And God, in his writing, on his first page, says, you know what, I made an image. Humanity is my image. When you see humanity, they're the ones that represent me. Human beings are the image of God. They represent human beings. In fact, we represent God so much, we represent him not just in our physical presence, not just as being made in the image of God, but, and and not just in our spiritual presence in the sense that, hey, we've got a makeup that represents God, but also in our job. Notice what he says right here in verse 26. He says, and let them have dominion over the fish. And over the sea, over the over this fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I could get into Christian conservationism and environmentalism, stuff like that right now, because that's where this goes off. So you notice, even the image of God starts to break into that section of our conversation as human beings right now, and as Americans. But I'm not going to get into that, I just want to kind of point that direction. Because what God has said is, he says, you are my representatives. You are the ones who are the governors of the earth, the managers of the earth under me. This is my planet, my universe. You guys govern it under me. That's partly what it means to be made in the image of God. That we've been given this job to manage this world. And I think it's kind of interesting that we can. My daughter just went to SeaWorld yesterday. She, uh, she, her, her nana gave her um, kind of a gift. Her nana and papa gave her a gift to go swim with the dolphins at SeaWorld. So big, big deal for her. She was all excited about it. Been excited about it for months and what's funny about this? is I talked to her this morning. I was like, "So, what'd you get to do?" She's like, "Oh, I got to, I got to dance with a dolphin. Dance with a dolphin. Yeah, they hold my hands out, and the dolphin turns and dances with me. And then I got to train the dolphin. So she thinks she actually got to make the dolphin do something new. What she meant is she actually got to take the whistle or whatever, the clicker or whatever, and the dolphin would do something that she was instructed to teach it to do. Guys, we're talking about a dolphin. These are supposed to be the most intelligent creatures in all the world after us, apparently, according to biologists." And we tell them what to do and they do it. We train them what to do and they do it. We take chimpanzees and we teach them to do this. And we go, they're doing sign language. It's amazing. Apple, you know. And we're going, wow, it's a, it's a, it's a chimpanzee. They're so smart. They're 80% just like us. You know, all this stuff. We're so much like the animals. Okay, if we're so much like the animals, where's the beaver walking up going, hey, this is my pet gopher. He's my friend. He's going to help me build the dam. You know, it's like this isn't going on. You don't have animals walking up with their pets going, this is my pet chipmunk. Well, that's nice. Your pet doesn't have a pet. It just doesn't, no matter how much you train it to have a pet, it doesn't. We are the only things in the world that are given the ability to govern the planet. It's fascinating. I was talking to a friend of mine who is not a Christian. He works for Vector Control here in Corona and part of the whole Vector Control world out there. And Vector Control watches things to make sure to find out the trends of what kind of diseases are coming our way. Isn't that fun? What a great job. We're all going to die. You know, that's kind of what he was telling me. And <laughs> what was interesting about it, I was like, well, how do you do this? He's like, well, actually, m- birds migrate the same every time. They start at this lake and this place, and they fly down to this area, and they stay there. Butterflies go from this place in Mexico all the way up to this place, and it never changes. They don't, cha- they don't just, one bird just does go, I'm bored. I'm going this way, you know. They don't do that. Bears stay in the same general area. Wolves travel in the same general places wherever there's food, and they can pretty much monitor this. They said the only time it all changes is when the X factor gets involved. I'm like, oh, what's the X factor? You know, like crazy animals? What's it? Humans, we're the X factor. Animals change courses because we build something in their way. Animals show up in new environments because we brought them there as pets. Animals show up and birds and bugs do different things because we traveled with them on our clothing. Humans change the environment around them. Animals are in that environment. We shape this world. We've been given the governance of this world because we're the image of God. Not because we're the most intelligent. Because we have been made to be this way. God gave us everything we needed to be able to govern the world. The problem is, we don't really know what that looks like. What does this image really look like? Give me a clear picture. I'll give you a clear picture. His name is Jesus Christ. Notice this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, speaking of people who have heard the gospel but don't believe it, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's focusing on that bottom part there. It's the glory of Christ... Christ is the image of God. What he's saying is this is the guy who's going to always right. He's always represented God rightly. In his attitudes, in his actions, in his words, he has done it perfectly. You know why he was able to do it perfectly? Because he was God in a bod. Literally, God shows up and is a human being. And we go, how in the world could God become a human being? That just doesn't make sense. God is infinite. We're fine. It makes sense if we understand that we can represent God. On Earth, Because he made us to. What do I mean by that? I think it's like what we get close to when we talk about personality. If you're an introvert, real quick, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're an introvert. And all the introverts are like. (laughs) If you're an extrovert, raise your hand real quick. Let let everybody know, yeah. And they're all getting, that's what I was expecting. So, you crazy introverts. So anyway, us introverts back here, we're... uh, no, uh, there's some of us that are introverts, some of us that are extroverts, some of us are like omniverts. We're like, yes, I like both, you know, kind of thing. Some of us are like really, uh, how many of you guys would say, I, you're, you're, you're just a creative person. Throw your hand up. You're creative. You, how many of you guys would say you're detail-minded? You're just super, de- I have a lot of detail-minded people in the church. I've met them all today. They're like, Bleh. how many of you saw what the bathroom looked like? You know, that kind of thing. Detail-minded people. Well, here's what's funny. I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you if you you see, you're defining yourself by some of these things, but honestly, if you're creative, raise your hand. If you're creative, everybody should have their hand raised right now. Everybody's creative, everybody's detail minded in some way. You get me into theology, oh, I'm really detail minded. You put me in my house, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I can be detail-minded. I can be creative. We are all these things. Just some of us have, God has granted you just a little bit more of something to represent a bit about him, a little bit more than somebody else. Some of us are really creative because God has just endowed you with creativity. But he's the infinite creator. All of us represent all of who he can be on this earth. Now, it's in a tiny fleck. It's not the same thing. But God is infinitely creative, and we're cre- we have creativity. God is infinitely intelligent, and we have intelligence. God is infinitely present, and some of us are a little bit more present in the sermon than others. Trust me, I can preach and think about a lot of other things and not be present. <laughs> it's just how I'm made. Some of us are more present than others. There's just an interesting ability that we represent God, and He's given us all these aspects and all this stuff. To represent, it's really like a lock and a key. If you take a lock uh, and a key, they match up perfectly so that it unlocks and it moves rightly. And nothing is broken when it's a well-made key and lock. But what we've done in our sin is we've taken all of these attributes. We've taken the fact that we line up with God and we took some other lock uh, that we created when went, I like this, I am an animal, God. First we pushed it in, maybe it went in pretty good, but then it didn't turn. We just decided to make it turn. And when you do that with a lock, when you shove it in, when you try to make it turn, when you try to put you in just a sexual being, when you try to make yourself just an economic being, when you try to make yourself just simply one aspect of who you are and that's the whole of you, you've shoved yourself in a lock and turned it and something always breaks. When we view ourselves wrongly, we will value ourselves wrongly. And that's the danger. When we want to make ourselves into something we are not, which we have the power as the image of God to do, we, see, we start to live wrong. We start to live in a wrong manner. We start to live sinfully. And this is huge because all of us have done this. But God... God sees it. He's saying, guys, you're valuing yourselves wrongly. You're made in my image. You fit in my lock. You and I. uh, I He's saying, I am the actual. You represent me. Image me. And you will live at the full human capacity. That's why we as Christians follow Christ. Because we're walking in a way to live as fully human as possible. And Jesus lived that fully human life. Which leads to some really important things. When you understand that you're in the image of God, when you view yourself rightly, you're going to come to the reality that you are of innate and infinite worth. You and I are of innate and infinite worth. What does that mean, infinite worth? Well, it means that you are made after God's image. God is infinitely valuable. And therefore, you who are his representative are infinitely valuable. God views you as infinitely valuable. God at least views you as more valuable than anything else that he's ever made. We can at least say that much. And when we note this, we find it here in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. This is post, you can take a step back. This is post fall. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is an interesting statement made by God to Noah after he's just destroyed all of humanity. Noah's supposed to reset it. And he says, listen, here's the rule. Somebody kills a human being, then that person or that that thing should be killed or destroyed. Because human beings are of the greatest price. If I destroyed the Mona Lisa, a priceless artifact... I would be locked away for life. I would have infamy thrown upon my head because I would be known forever in history as the man who destroyed the Mona Lisa. I would have infamy. I would have all kinds of problems. I would have to pay the price of destroying something priceless. Nobody think of, "Ah, it's just paint, let him go. Which really it is, just paint and canvas. and No, it's way more valuable to us than just that. God thinks of it in the same way. You are the uh, supreme value. And therefore, when you are destroyed, or if a human is destroyed by an animal, that animal ought to be destroyed. It needs to pay the supreme cost. And this, this leads into conversations about death penalty and all these kind of things. I get that. But again, notice the image of God branches into a very real portion of law, which is how we as the images of God treat one another. That's all law is. And so we begin to build this reality of how this works out. So I want to show you, we're still only on these two verses, only on page one. And it begins to dive into more issues. But God views you as supremely, supremely valuable. Here's the problem. We as humans don't do this. I want to give you a simple illustration. What we do is God, God has created us all very differently, like I said. Some of us, again, are the introverts. Some of us are the semi-introverts. Some of us are semi-extroverts. And some of us are just... Flaming extroverts. So we got, this, we got this guide of different people. Well, here, some of us are, you know, some of us are these kind of people who are, who are just beautiful and we get all the different stuff. And honestly, some of us are in the ugly box. That's offensive to people. You know why that's offensive to you? I'll tell you in a second why that's offensive to you. You'll find out real quick. Some of us think intelligence and dumb and all these boxes are here. And you know why we all giggle and we're like, oh, that's uncomfortable. He said somebody's ugly is because of what we do as a society and as human beings. God intends people to be different. You've got, this, you've got this gorgeous person who's a jerk in this box over here. And you've got this ugly person who's the kindest person in the world over here. And we go, you know what, they're really good with people. They're not really good with people, but they're more valuable. And what we've done is we just simply take these boxes and we turn them into ladders. And we stack them. And we go, hey, pretty people on top, ugly people on the bottom. In fact, there's a line at which you aren't even worth it. I and mean, when, when you start reading about the elephant man, you start reading his story, you'll see this tale. Because there is a line that we will draw where grotesque is not okay. Why didn't, why, why, why was this person even allowed to be born? What's interesting is this is all how we do everything. You know, the intelligent people on top, the dumb people on the bottom. But the intelligent people aren't very good at dealing with people because, you know, those professors sometimes, they have trouble, you know, whatever. I'm not insulting professors if you are one. But the idea is simply that some of us come along, we go, yeah, well, I don't like that. Cool. High school was like, cool people on top, nerds on the bottom. All, you know, 20 years later, all the nerds are like, yeah, right. We rule the world now. So we're going to stack this differently and we're going to put you guys down there. We're going to put us up here and we just play this value game all over the place so that The valuable people are on the top, and we draw a line somewhere down there where they basically said, and you're not worth it. But have you ever tried to climb a box ladder? They don't work very well. And God never intended us to stack each other against each other. That's why you can get xenophobia, racism, and everything else, because we will simply stack one race on top of another. We already saw this experiment happen in history, and it's lousy. It's evil. But we haven't learned. But until we understand that all human it's not tolerance that's the answer here by the way it is valuing everyone in the image of God that you are infinitely valuable and that valuing like this is dangerous think about your home for a second have you stacked the sports kid on top of the smart kid the cuter kid on top of the the not so cute kid the energy kid over the lethargic kid the video game kid under the studious kid. What, we do this all the time. And our children know it. And you know it from your life, what was considered more valuable. And guys, you're all equally valuable in unique boxes that God intended to reflect His glory. How dare we stack boxes that God never intended? Now, does that mean we don't pay people differently and all? No, 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 no. People have different skills. Jobs are of different value. We understand economics works out a certain way, but you are not your job. You are not your skills. Because you cease to be human if I take your skills away. You cease to be human if you lose intelligence. You're a little less human today than you were the other day because you start struggling with Alzheimer's. Now you're less human. No, no. You're made in the image of God. That means that you are not just simply infinitely valuable, you're innately valuable. But before we really move to innately valuable, I want to tell you something. You are so infinitely valuable, this even begins to ride into sex. I would speak to girls all the time in the youth group and guys, and I would sit them down and I'd ask them a simple question. I'd say, Why is prostitution wrong? You know, they kind of, I get but it's yucky. No, that's not really a good definition for what's right and wrong. You can pick your nose, and it's not considered morally wrong. Socially incorrect, morally not incorrect. That's gross. No, it's not because it's gross. It's because we put a value number on a human being that is based on a dollar. And when you expose yourself in sex, you are saying you can have all of me. It is the most intimate, vulnerable state a human being is in. And what we do is we basically say... For that, it costs this much, and we value a human being. And so I would lean over to them and say, "What point is it right to to, to have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, depending on who i was talking to?" And they go, "Like," and usually girls resonate with this a lot better than guys. And they would say, "Oh, well, you know, I, the worst case scenario is somebody said when they when they love me." I'm like, "So they just have to tell you they love you?" "Oh no, they have to prove it to me." "Oh, with what words?" Oh, buy me stuff. Date me for so long. I'm like, oh, so you're just a cheap. You're just an expensive prostitute. If I could enumerate how many dates it costs and how much time needs to be spent, and they fulfill that obligation, that's what your value is. And you look at they look at me like I hate you. You know, kind of like you. <laughs> <laughs> but but they would get the point. You're devaluing yourself. Whether it's four years, three years, I love you with a bunch of dates or I love you at the very beginning or one night stand. It's just a matter of what price are you putting on it and what way do you want to be paid? Why is it only that Christians believe that it's only in marriage that it's right for sex to be given? The answer is because when you stand before the altar, you're paying the right price. What's that right price? God showed us that on the cross. He says a life for a life. That's what it is. And God said, you are of infinite value, so much so that I myself as God will come down to pay the cost to pay for you, to be redeemed. Life for life. And so when you stand before a pastor and you stand before God on the altar and you say, my life for yours, your life for mine, you have valued yourself rightly. And now it's open and available. This is why marriage is such an honorable thing. We don't think of it in those terms anymore. Because we've segregated sex away as some other thing. And God is attached as we would see later. In fact he does it here where he says it's male and female he created them. He's, he's intim- intimating that this is a connection. All of this is connected to the image of God. And so we devalue ourselves when we, draw, when we make sex what it's not. We devalue ourselves by lowering marriage. We devalue ourselves by really turning our eyes off of The fact that we're the image of God. And we cease to see that you are innately valuable. Why do I say innately valuable because it doesn't matter if you're a four-celled human being or a multi-celled, trillion-trillion-trillion-celled human being who's in a vegetative state. You are still worth the image of God. This is why we, in the past, we wouldn't do cremation as churches because we believed even the body as the image of God. You don't burn it. You let God deal with it. You bury it in the ground. We'll talk about that in a second. But the point is simply here that we see ourselves as innately valuable. You represent the king. The reason you don't destroy the image of a king when he's alive is he's, he's going to view that as treason. If I represent the king and I'm treated poorly, you've now treated me like you would have treated the king. I represent the king. And so there's this connection between my representation and who I represent. And so even James says, don't even insult a human being. Because they're made in the image of God. It's as if you would insult God himself. you realize how valuable this group of people are? That you're sitting around in a highly, infinitely valuable group of human beings. All of you, amazing worth, amazing value. That's not self-esteem. That's just who God said you are. And it's innate from when you were an embryo all the way forward. The difference is if we stack these boxes, we just determine who gets to be on top and who doesn't. So if you're only a four-celled organism, we just kind of go, nah, not important. So when I'm sitting next to the guy and I'm having a conversation, I ask him, is it okay if we sell human organs on the market? Bioethics question. Ah, uh, and I said, well, you know, and he was confused. He didn't know. He's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure. But he understood you just create a black market. People get killed just to be harvested. for There's all this stuff that can. So he's like, probably not a good idea economically. And I said, okay, well, then what about embryonic stem cell research? He's like, well, that's helpful. I'm like, really? So you're going to take a a human being and tear them apart, even though they're four cells. So you might make some money off some technology that you're going to design by selling it in a medical environment to get to help people when you're really after a profit. And so what happens is now we have this turmoil in in vitro fertilization where they offer you the opportunity to have children, but they know it's going to take multiple rounds in order to really have one of these children. And so they tell you to overdo the amount of eggs to actually fertilize. Knowing back in the background for some of these institutions, they're thinking they're going to have a chance with these. We might have these left over. If they'll release them to us, we will sell them to the embryonic stem cell research place, make even more money off of leftover human beings. Guys, this is putting money on the heads of humans. And he's like, ah, really? I said, so you're okay with slavery, I said. And he goes, oh. Because that's where we put prices on human heads. We're not okay with this as a culture. But we're okay with this as a culture. Because we just want to draw the line of value wherever we want it. And it's not innate after this point, but it's okay after that. Guys, this is so serious. If we don't understand who we are and view ourselves rightly, we won't value ourselves rightly. And you value, and you set the value of you. And that's going to be really important as you guys get older and our children start determining whether we're wanted or not. See, that's the new value system that's out there if you've heard about it. You can accidentally, you can actually injure a woman who's pregnant and be arrested and thrown in jail for murder if the, if the child in the womb dies. Except if they didn't want the child. Want is the line of value. It is that very wanting that has led to 90% of disabled children never making it out of the womb. 90% who are made in the image of God. When you see Trevor, if you're ever here in the early services, worshiping God with all of his heart, hugging people, running around, slapping people on the back, 90% of his friends, of his category, are not here because we decide to arbitrarily draw a line. Because we started viewing human beings as animals, as some economic thing, as something else. No, my friends, these are the image of God, the beautiful, powerful image of God. How dare we draw these lines? We look and we see the the embryonic stem cell problem. We're now seeing it in the suicide rates. We're now seeing it all the way where we're taking men and women who can't remember their children, we're saying they're not worth it anymore. They're gone. Who said? They're made in the image of God, they have innate value whether they remember who they are or not. They're precious, infinitely valued human beings. And it touches all of these aspects of our society. I walked out of Sachsenhausen with the same emotion. Sachsenhausen is one of the death camps of the Nazi regime just outside of Berlin. You sat there sick to your stomach as you saw the very hospital rooms they tortured humans to learn medical procedures. Because they had drawn the lines and they said, Jews and these people down here are not worth it. Burn them, get rid of them. It's only these that are valuable. It's called eugenics. It's what we're practicing today. And guys, as the church, this is why I just have to say we can't be pro life. There is no choice to make. Or sorry, we can't be pro choice. Ooh, that's bad. We have to be totally pro-life. We can't be pro-choice. There's no choice to make here. Now, hold on. I got to rephrase that. That was bad. So there has to be, there's no choice to make here. And I get it. I'm a guy and people say, you can't say that. I'm like, no, no. I'm just pointing to page one. Page one says that the child in utero is made in the image of God because it's a human being. There's no choice going on here. You say, you can't, no, no, guys, wait, and time out. If you've had sex before marriage, if you've had an abortion, I just need to tell you guys, you're made in the image of God. You're valuable. And yes, you've got hurt. And yes, you have pain. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ loves you and has given his life to pay for the debt and the guilt and everything else. And you can be absolutely free of those things to not stay there because what we've done is we've taken those keys and we jammed them in and we twisted them and they've gotten stuck. You're stuck in your past. You're stuck in your sin. You're stuck in these things. And guys, you need to be free. That's why we support Corona Life Services as a church. Because this beautiful place wants to support everyone made in the image of God. They're a crisis pregnancy center that's in this area that on Saturday they're going to have their walk for life here in Corona. And the reason we support them is because they don't just fight for the life of the child. They fight for the mother, the child, the father, the whole thing. They're ready to pour into the women who are struggling with whether they should keep their child. If they choose not to keep their child, they have rooms ready and available for women to have counseling and get through the grief that they weren't expecting to come. They have opportunities for women to go through the very, the prenatal, all the stuff they need. They have counseling for husbands They have all and, and, and dads. And they have all this stuff all the way to where even post, they'll help you out with diapers. They'll help you out with, I believe they even get to the place where they've got places to try to get you home if they need to guys, this place is rad. They do the whole thing. That's why we love to support them. That's the kind of stuff that we can do to support the image of God in our culture and our society. And to have these kind of conversations. But I have one more piece before we can really have the conversation. This was the most important one I'm finding today. As well yes we're innately valuable and yes we're infinitely valuable and yes we represent God huge conversations all of this means this note this so God created man in what Look back at verse 27 God created man in say say the next word in his I heard his say his yes. say his yes. Whose yes. you are not your own Miley Cyrus is wrong it's not her body. She can't do whatever she wants with it. God owned it first. Do you want to know why Christians are against suicide, even in the case of cancers and horrible diseases? Because we don't believe it's dignified, because God is the one who deals with the life. It's his. Do you know why we don't think we can just create laws willy-nilly? Because God is the one that we image, and he makes the laws. It's his. his we're not our own we're not our we're not we're to image him what happens though is that we have the right to run around form our own locks shove ourselves in them and turn them and what happens is we get stuck because we're allowed to image other things in this world we're allowed to run out there and image other things that that surround us the technical term for that that we call it is addiction the bible calls it idolatry See, when you get into a lifestyle and you define yourself by sex, or you define yourself that you are this, or that you are an alcoholic, or that you are um, somebody who is, who is an animal or that you're, and you turn that lock, you are stuck. What's funny is we have addictions all over the place, right? We have addictions over food. We have addictions over alcohol. We have addictions over drugs. Addictions over sex. We have addictions over vanity and working out and all this stuff. Finding that there's even addictions over like entertainment and pleasure and stuff like this. Mainly video games and movies. Well, We have all these things. Guess what? They're not new. They're not new. In the ancient world, if you were, if you were way into and addicted to food, his name was Bacchus. And you worshipped Bacchus. Because Bacchanalian was the, was the wonderful festival where you glutted yourself like crazy until you threw up and drank like crazy until you did crazy things. You were addicted to wine and alcohol, you worshipped Bacchus. If you wanted to worship sex, her name was Aphrodite. If you wanted to worship any of these things, they had a name. Drugs, her name was Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft. All of these had names. All of them were called idols. And what happens is when you've worshipped something and given it yourself to it long enough, you start to image it and you end up in what the Bible calls bondage and we call addiction. And it's caught you and it won't let go. It takes the work of a God who sees you as infinitely valuable to undo you and remove you and then form you back and put in a right relationship with God. And it took God to do that through Jesus Christ on the cross. But if we don't want that, what we will do is we lock ourselves in and instead of removing ourselves, we will just simply change the environment around us. If I am somebody who worships Aphrodite, sex, I'm going to basically turn around and say, it's okay for everybody to do whatever they want in sex then. Because if I have to tell anybody they can't do something, then suddenly there might be a line that's drawn against me. And then I have to face it. Same thing with alcohol, drugs, all these things. We will define our world based on our addictions, based on our pleasures, based on our sins. That's what the Bible tells us, that's what we see. And what we need to realize is that God alone loves us. He sees us as infinitely valuable, innate, his representatives, and he has come to give us his son, Jesus, to remove that, us out of that lock and heal us in a relationship with him. That's why the gospel is powerful in the connection with the image of God. But all these pieces fit together. I, I probably overwhelmed you, so why don't we go ahead and just move on to what in the world do I do with this? For some of you, you're going to be like my buddy on the plane. He's, you're just going to have to think through this stuff. Let it continue to bug you until you finally get it. Keep reading page one over and over and just think about what it says. For others of us, I want to challenge you guys Maybe you need to jump in with me. We're going to go to the Crowline Service uh, Walk for Life this Saturday. So I hope that you guys will be there. I'm going to be praying over it, so I get to actually kind of pray over it all. and Everybody's going to go take off on their walk. And if, if you want to support it, be there. I would love you guys to be there supporting it as Olive Branch with your Olive Branch T-shirts on. Or you know, We'll get you a bumper sticker. You can put it on your bumper or whatever, you know, kind of whatever. We just want to celebrate and be able to say, hey, we here as a church support the image of God and how to deal with this in our culture second maybe you want to start praying we have a disabilities ministry that's been forming in the background for the last few few weeks few months and it's getting closer to being launched and maybe you're interested in helping maybe there's just prayer that you want to pour into it please pray about it it's a huge deal for us we're really excited about where it's going and finally maybe you just need to, you need to yourself go get some help and I'm serious here you're, you are made in the image of God you're valuable you're precious to God And if you've had an abortion, you need to get with women who can help you walk through that. Or if you've been a a dad who allowed the abortion to occur and you still have that guilt, you need to get around men who can help walk you through that gospel to be healed. If you've been raped, you've had your image stripped from you. You need to get counseling. You need to get help. If you're sitting there struggling with your body image and the things that are going on inside of you and you're afraid, you need to get help. God has infinitely valued you, you are his representative. And if it's an addiction or something like this, guys, we need to admit that we have valued ourselves in the wrong ways. We need to get that counseling, get that help, get that aid, and build that into our support structures. Because, guys, you're amazingly valuable he has given you his son, Jesus, to set you free, not to be held back in bondage. So allow him to transform you. Take on the fact that you are made in the image of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of you need to talk with God right now about some of what's wrestling in your heart and Why don't you go ahead and do that, but I want to talk to maybe some of you in this room who aren't Christians. I don't know what you would say the value of a human being is. And I don't know what you would say your value is or what you would say a human being is. But can I just encourage you that God has valued you at the highest. And he wants to help you become fully what it means to be human. But what gets in the way is sin. We can't have a relationship with God as long as we've locked ourselves into another lock, which is sin. And we can't get ourselves out. We're stuck, we know that. But God wants to help you. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, not only to show you how valuable you are, but so that he could take that sin upon himself and all the punishment that's required to deal with it, he took that for you so that you wouldn't have to face it. And then he has given you the promise that he forgives you of that sin so he can enter into your life and have a relationship with you and transform and conform you back into being the image of God fully and completely. And that's promised to us as a gift. You don't earn it and work for it. He literally just gives it to you. And maybe this morning it's time for you to receive that gift. Maybe it's time for you to be forgiven of your sins. To allow God into your life to conform you back to what he's always intended you to be that's you right now and you'd like to receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I want to give you that chance this morning. Just let me know that you're willing to do that. Just by putting your hand up. You're saying, yeah, that's me. I'm ready for that. And as you indicate that, amen. Awesome. I'm just going to walk you through a prayer. And right where you're at, you talk to God and just let Him know the sins that are in the way between you and Him. He already knows them. He's just, he's just giving you a chance to say that you recognize them. So, so kind of lay them out quietly where you're at. And now what we're going to do with those as you've laid them out is... You may still be doing that, but we're going to turn. We're going to do what's called repenting. We're going to turn away from those sins. We're going to focus ourselves now on Jesus Christ. And just let God know that you're putting those sins on Jesus and you're trusting that he's forgiven you. And right where you're at, let him know that you trust that he's dealt with all that sin. And now ask him to come into your life to begin that relationship with you, to lead you and guide you by his word, by his presence. God, you've heard their prayers. I, I know you have. And I ask that you would honor their prayers by your presence, that you would give them a strength, and you should bless them deeply. And God, for all of us in the room who are wrestling over being made in your image and, and how what that means, I just pray, God, it would settle into our souls and be deeply challenging to us that we would walk with you knowing that we are your representatives. In Jesus' name, amen.